This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and James Forsyth. Unease is growing in the Conservative Parliamentary Party when it comes to Number 10's handling of the complaints about Chris Pincher. James, what's the latest? So Number 10 have kind of shifted their line today, which is to say that they were aware of allegations previously, but they... Uh, and obviously the fact that he had resigned over, over a similar issue before, but the the allegations they were aware of were kind of unsubstantiated and so kind of couldn't block his promotion. Now, I mean, the problem with this as an argument is that the ministerial promotions are at the gift of the prime minister. This is not a, what anyone would recognise as a kind of pure employment process. You know, I mean, you know, the prime minister regularly and frequently, in, in not just this prime minister, but all prime ministers, they promote allies, they demote enemies, you know, all of this stuff. So it wasn't like they were in a situation where they had to make Chris Pincher deputy chief whip because he had applied for the job and, you know, they'd have had an employment tribunal on their hands if they hadn't. I mean, that that, that, that doesn't work. I think one of the other problems for the government is that you can't get round two things. One, Chris Pincher, unlike Neil Parrish, was important to the Boris Johnson operation. He was important to that shadow whipping operation. He's been important in recent months as the deputy chief whip. The second thing that you can't get around is that they made a decision. Now you can say in their defence it's a decision that Theresa May also made when she, she brought him back into the whip's office to basically overlook their doubts about certain aspects of Pincher's behaviour because of his skill at doing the job he was doing. And I think what this the point this makes is it takes you to this, this tension that Isabel's been writing about, which is how do you delineate between, you know, how, how do parties handle complaints when for so for in so often in so many situations in political parties loyalty and utility to a leadership trumps all and how do you have a how do you have a a procedure that deals with things like this on a party level which has traditionally been dealt with by the whips office when the whips office's primary concern is about party discipline party unity the position of of, of the leadership and isabel when it comes to the set the mood in the cabinet we had a rather painful media round from Therese Coffey on Sunday um, and it seems as though going forward ministers are trying to find more and more creative ways to not say very much. Yeah so I think it's always interesting who um, who goes out on these broadcast rounds uh, at the moment and uh, I was going to say who goes out on these broadcast rounds in times of crisis, but the government really has been in perpetual crisis for a few months now. And um, you do have ministers who uh, find urgent sort of dentist appointments and so on, meaning that they can't possibly do the broadcast round for number 10 and defend the indefensible. But I think we've, we've seen another shift in the past few days which is that ministers, including Therese Coffey, as you mentioned, Will Quince, um, who did the broadcast around this morning, ostensibly about childcare costs, but obviously, as he acknowledged, had prepared answers uh, for the questions about Chris Pincher. Both of them basically told broadcasters, and when you do a broadcast round, you do you know six interviews or however many, told 
all these different broadcasters that the same thing, which was that they had been told to say something by the number 10 press office. So that's what Therese Coffey said yesterday. Today, um, Will Quince said that he asked number 10 clearly and firmly for answers about this and was given a categorical assurance that the Prime Minister was not aware of any specific allegation when he was appointing Chris Pincher as Deputy Chief Whip, which is basically these ministers' way of saying, OK, fine, I'm going to do the broadcast round, but I'm not going to defend you guys. I am literally just going to almost read out a statement. Um, and it's quite funny if you look at the transcripts um, from Will Quince this morning. Uh, he went on the Today programme, he went on Times Radio, he went on Sky, and he really did use almost verbatim the same words in, in answers to each question. Now, that's either incredible message discipline or a desire to make it very, very clear that this this isn't his message. James, do you think the tide is turning on Boris Johnson in the sense that the Pincher case has just added to concerns MPs already had about the leadership? Could that impact the 22 elections? So I think where the Chris Pincher business has hurt Boris Johnson is this, is in the, in the days before that no-confidence vote, Boris Johnson's allies made much of this fact that, you know, look, you know, he sorted out number 10, you know, that things needed to change, things have changed, the new operation is more professional, it, it's less shoot from the hip than previously, and things are going to run better. So don't worry, there won't be a repeat of these of these muck-ups. Now, I think the problem that the Pincher uh, business poses is twofold to that. One is, Chris Pincher was part of that reset. And so it calls that into question about how professional his behaviour was. And then secondly, there is the question of how professionally number 10 have handled this, which is, I think it was relatively obvious that they were going to be dragged to end up having him uh, resign the whip. And it would have been better to have kind of done it all in one go, rather than this strategy of him resigning, number 10 quite aggressively saying, well, that's that's that, all he needs to do is resign. It's now been dealt with. And then slowly but surely, under more and more pressure, the whip being taken away from him. So I mean, I mean, that's kind of where it hurts him. I also think, and this is something that you just see talking to Tory MPs, they are just exhausted. They feel that they have been defending scandal after scandal, and they are just, you know, as Isabel said, they are, they are, they are getting kind of increasingly visibly and publicly fed up with this. And I think the thing about this is. There's one thing going out and taking a difficult media round over a decision that you might that might be unpopular, but you might have a kind of ideological belief is 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 necessary for the country. So you know, think of you know some of the hard coalition decisions on on public spending, which were not popular, but were, were viewed as necessary. I think what is wearing people down is going out to defend self-inflicted problems time and time again, which to which there are no redeeming features, if you see what I mean. I don't think anyone went into politics to do media rounds explaining um, why the kind of thing that went on went on. And I mean, that, that, is, uh, I mean that, that is what makes it quite difficult. And I mean, the Tory MPs are just exhausted. I'm, I'm struck by how even normally kind of chipper backbenchers and even normally people who can always see, but always view the glass as half full just feel worn down by all this. Completely. I I had a minister earlier who 
I think I'd always seen as one of those people who, you know, saying, oh, things are not so bad. Actually saying, oh, no, they are actually now bad. And I think it does show you where the mood is going. Isabel, Boris Johnson is clearly back in the UK and he's just appeared in the Commons Chamber, um, which is his first appearance there for some time, given his foreign travels. Does he appear to have his mojo back or have the domestic problems um, actually not gone anywhere? I wouldn't say he was at his... Um... I'm trying to work out what the superlative of boosterism is, but I wouldn't say that he was at his most boosterish this afternoon in, in the Commons. He did understandably stick to talking about international summits rather than give a statement about anything that was going on in his own party. And actually most MPs responding to his statement did so as well. They had a line from Keir Starmer talking about absence makes the heart grow fonder and uh, 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 and that sort of thing. But but yes, most most of the discussion was on the um, the things that Johnson felt safest talking about, which was Britain's place in the world, Ukraine, the NATO summit. I thought it, he he seemed very very keen, as as you'd expect, given the 1922 elections that are coming up in the in the next week to elect a new executive, which will be seen uh, as a partly as a another vote of sort of confidence in the Prime Minister and also a move towards the rule change. Uh, he seemed very keen to be very, very polite and very supportive to, to every backbencher who asked a question, including Julian Lewis, who normally annoys Johnson uh, deeply. Johnson was talking very respectfully about how Julian Lewis has long made the case for greater defence spending and how actually what the government was doing was was really amounting to the sort of commitment Julian Lewis uh, wanted on defence spending. When it, I think it was about three days ago that Julian Lewis called the um, the two point five percent of GDP pledge that the PM made uh, pathetic. So uh, I just thought that sort of that that warmth is not normally there between the Prime Minister and people who who like to criticise him. I thought it was quite telling that Crispin Blunt stood up and said, uh, I cannot think of one, of any time in my time in the House when the Prime Minister has been able to take so much personal credit in a statement on, on foreign affairs. And what I thought was telling about this was how relatively empty the chamber was. You know, the, you know this was not... Um, you know, this was not Tory MPs turning out in huge numbers to see Boris Johnson give a statement on the three international summits he's been to. And I thought that was slightly telling as well. I also was interesting that when Mark Harper pressed him, uh, you know, Mark Harper is a fiscal hawk, but when Mark Harper said, look, he's all in favour of spending 2.5% of GDP on defence, but he wants to know how it will be paid for. You know, is Boris Johnson planning to raise taxes or, um, or cut spending. And Boris Johnson said it was going to be paid for by steady, sustained economic growth, which did leave you wondering what, what set of OBR forecast Boris Johnson has been looking at. Because um, it, it, at the moment, it is quite hard to look at those economic forecasts. And you think that you could, you could raise defence spending to 2.5% of GDP without it, without it causing problems and being difficult. And I think that is... That is one of the the, the 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 difficulties with Boris Johnson is Tory MP was saying to me just as I was walking over here through his podcast that a few years ago Boris Johnson's strength was to kind of just say this and, and create a kind of reality field if you see what I mean you know that that's how we're going to do it and people are like, oh yes and it, it was was the kind of cakey strategy and it worked very effectively for him the problem is that because he has lost the benefit of a doubt these lines don't have the same power and resonance that they once did. That ability to say, that kind of, that, that Jedi mind trick of these are not the droids, I mean, not, not sound like he's told, but these are not the droids that you are looking for kind of thing, doesn't work for him anymore because, because even his own MPs are more sceptical of his pronouncements now. 
Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening.